we were only waist deep in the water. It was quite shallow, it was very calm. There was no one else in the water at that point. It was quite late in the afternoon, bordering onto evening. We started kissing and I had my legs wrapped around his waist and he started, he jumped. I was about to ask him what it was. He said that he was having trouble breathing and his head felt heavy and I needed to get help. And I couldn't see much at that point. The light was fading. I couldn't make anything out. And so I said, well, come with me. This is Shannon Leone Fowler. She's 45, small, delicate, with big melancholy eyes and a powerful spirit. In 2001, she was on holiday in Thailand with Sean, her fiancé. Sean and Shannon were young and in love, perfectly happy. Until disaster struck and Shannon's life changed forever. This is the trip that changed everything. I'm Jonathan Gruber, and this is The Journey. The Journey is an original podcast from KLM Royal Dutch Airlines, where we meet extraordinary people whose lives are transformed by travel. Shannon is a marine biologist, and the ocean is everything to her. She grew up in the north of California, not by the sea, as you might expect, but inland, near the mountains, in a small university town. Shannon's parents were both political scientists, and her mother is also a writer. Shannon was raised to be independent, riding her bike, looking for adventure. And she spent her summers on the beach by her grandparents in San Diego, starting a lifelong love affair with the ocean. I decided I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was eight years old. It was the first summer that I flew down to San Diego by myself. I remember looking out of the plane and the ocean just seemed enormous. It seemed limitless. Previously, I'd wanted to be a tightrope walker. I decided to abandon that aspiration for marine biology. My grandfather was an oceanographer, so he was able to explain everything to me. How to avoid being stung by a stingray, how to swim if you got caught in a riptide, how the moon influenced the tides. Um, we would go to tide pools and he would be able to name all the different creatures. It was like this key to another world. It just set the scene, so to say, for me to be fascinated by the ocean. And I always loved animals. What I really wanted to do was study the animals in the ocean. And Shannon is a woman with a plan. After high school, Shannon attended the University of California to study marine biology. Shannon envisioned her future as a marine biologist and academic, like her grandfather. She lived on the ocean in Santa Cruz, diving, surfing, walking her dog. The ocean has always meant possibility to me. It, it's a place where I just feel I can breathe. I think it makes me feel small in a way that puts everything else into perspective. And despite being a poor student, Shannon became an inveterate traveler, seeking adventure, often alone, soaking up the culture. On her trip through Europe, she traveled from France to Spain. She took a night train from Nice to Barcelona and ended up in a youth hostel. And here, she met a group of fellow travelers. They asked her to come out for drinks, and 
Despite being exhausted from the trip, she went along. All I want to do is go to sleep. I've been traveling all night. Sean bounded up the stairs, and he was so funny and charming and flirtatious and enthusiastic that I ended up going out for drinks with them. He's, he was tall, over six foot, blue eyes, a crooked nose that had been broken. He had a dimple and he had a great smile, maybe a little rough around the edges, but I, I thought he was very good looking immediately. Sean and Shannon kissed that first romantic Barcelona night. They started traveling together and, in the way of these things, felt deeply in love. I think any time you really fall in love with someone, you become a better version of yourself. You see parts of yourself that they have fallen in love with that makes you appreciate those parts of yourself in a different way. And he, he just made me laugh more than anything. I thought he was incredibly sexy, and that, of course, helped... But I liked who I was with him, and I liked being around him. I could see spending the rest of my life with him. They traveled together for months, zigzagging across Europe. But she is 24, he is 22, and as so often happens at the end of a holiday romance, they went their separate ways. Shannon returned to a job teaching diving in the Caribbean and then back to Santa Cruz. Sean got a job in Ireland. And remember, this is 1999. There was no Skype, no WhatsApp. They tried to make it work long distance. She would call him from a crackling, unreliable payphone. They wrote each other love letters. And, as inevitably happens, they broke up, started dating other people, and moved on. Sean even went back to Australia. Then fate stepped in. To complete her study, Shannon needed to do research. She was offered a placement on a project that focused on sea lions. And its location, Australia. There was a part of me that I thought, Sean's there. I think I would have spent the rest of my life wondering if I hadn't seen him again because of the way it ended, because how I felt about him when I'd last seen him. We were young and the months apart were hard. But there was a big part of me that leapt to the idea of Australian sea lions because I knew I would see him again. Shannon headed to Kangaroo Island off Australia's southern coast. She packed up her research materials, scales, notebooks, hoops, and countless boxes of bleach used to identify the sea lions, and flew to Melbourne in June of 2001. Sean came to pick me up at the airport. I was really jet-lagged. I was a little bit hungover. I remember seeing him down the corridor, and he was in a suit because he'd come from work to pick me up, and I'd never seen him in a suit before. He looked, he looked really good. I remember thinking how attracted I was to him and how much I'd missed him. We didn't kiss that very first night. It was the second night that we ended up just getting back together. Shannon shuttled between Kangaroo Island and Melbourne. She had her sea lions, and she had Sean. Life was great. When Sean got a job in China, they were in a long-distance relationship again, but this time they kept in touch. They emailed, called, and made plans to travel. Shannon booked a ticket to Beijing. Sean took time off work, and they explored China together. With the emphasis on together. It had been an intense trip, and we decided to splurge on a very mid-range hotel, but there was air conditioning, there were clean sheets, there wasn't construction going outside, and it felt like luxury. It just felt like absolute luxury. We had sex that morning, 
and he was wrapping himself in a sheet and he said, Miss, if you have me, I want to marry you. I was sitting on his lap. He was wrapped in the sheet. He looked ridiculous. It looked like a kimono, practically. And it just felt certain. And you said? I just kissed him. I didn't even really feel like I needed to answer. Shannon is 28, Sean is 25, and can't stop talking about the beautiful life that lies before them. We were talking about where we were going to buy a house, and he was really excited to be a dad. He could picture everything, where we were going to live, what we were going to do for work. I mean, he had it planned out to the extent of us retiring and having a caravan, and we would drive it around Australia, and we would spoil our grandkids rotten. We would drive our kids crazy because we would spoil our grandkids so much. And he was someone who just made you see that. He made you see that future. After the hustle and bustle of China, they needed a break and flew to Thailand's white sand tropical beaches at Koh Phangan. We just wanted to sit on a beach and relax and swim and eat and be together. We just wanted somewhere easy and so we went to Koh Phangan and it just looked like paradise. Exactly what you would conjure up in your mind if you thought of a tropical beach paradise. White sand, palm trees, turquoise blue water. He was able to to flirt his way into an upgrade, so we had a cabana right on the beach. It was right at the end, so we had a little bit of privacy. It was wonderful. And it is there, surrounded by azure water and warm breezes, that Shannon reveals to Sean that she is pregnant. Sean was a bit freaked out. He was 25. We did not have much money. Um, And it was a surprise. But I didn't think that I could do anything except have it. I guess in a lot of ways, we hadn't really kind of come to the point where it even seemed solid. It was, it was still very early on. The very idea of a baby seemed somehow surreal. After all, there in the paradise of Copanyang, the future seems very far away. All they have is this lazy, wonderful moment. It is everything they'd hoped for. And that's when it happened. It was, it was just like every other day on the island. I had a coconut oil massage on the beach that the local ladies do. It was already kind of starting to get towards the end of the day. We were walking back to our cabana, cabana 214, and he wanted to wrestle. He was twice my size, and I knew I would lose. Um, But we wrestled, and I lost. I got sand stuck all over my skin because I'd had this coconut oil massage. So I just went straight into the ocean at this point to rinse off. It didn't seem any point in tracking sand through the cabana, jumping in the shower. Sean went into the cabana. I came out and he'd had his glasses off. So he couldn't see where I was at first. So I took off my top and I threw it at him and he came over to me. We were only waist deep in the water. It was quite shallow, it was very calm. There was no one else in the water at that point. It was quite late in the afternoon, bordering onto evening. Shannon wrapped her legs around his waist and they kissed. 
They stood entangled in the water, the tall young man and small, tough woman. She so at ease in the ocean, he so nervous about the water. He keeps asking about shark attacks to her amusement. As an expert, she continually reassures him. He's perfectly safe. Her legs wrapped around Sean's waist. She feels something brush past. Suddenly he jumps and then drops her in the water to get to shore as quickly as he can. I thought it was a stingray. It had brushed against my thigh, and then I thought it had settled onto the bottom, because to sting, it has to have the traction to flip its tail up. If you step on its back, it can then flip its tail up and sting you. I thought Sean had stepped on it, and it had stung him. He rushed to the shore. He said that he was having trouble breathing, and his head felt heavy, and I needed to get help. I couldn't see much at that point. The light was fading, but I didn't see anything on his legs. I couldn't make anything out. So I said, well, come with me. He said that he couldn't. I really wasn't, I wasn't panicking at all at this point. Um, I thought he was in pain, but he was lucid. He was calm. He wasn't screaming. He wasn't crying. He was totally coherent. I was topless. We were right in front of our cabana and I ran and I put on a dress. I turned around and he collapsed in the sand. He was face first in the sand. I thought he'd passed out. I thought he was unconscious because of the pain. So I ran back to him and I tried to turn him over. He was twice my size. It was really difficult to turn him. When I turned him, there was a, a breath that came out. I thought he hadn't been able to breathe with his face in the sand. But I ran to get help to a bar that was very close, a few hundred meters down. They said that my boyfriend's having trouble breathing and I think he was stung by something. We ran back and he had no pulse at that point. I'm not sure how many people there were. Everyone was crowded around me. We were trying to do CPR. There was a, a woman, a very young backpacker, was um, doing the chest compressions and counting. There was an Israeli guy who was telling her she was doing the chest compressions wrong. There was this crowd of people pushing in on us on the beach. And at first, everyone was watching him. They were waiting for him to start breathing again. They were waiting for him, as it always happens in the movies, to cough and come to life. There was a very noticeable shift for me that everyone started watching me. No one was even watching him anymore. Everyone, I think, surrounding us knew that he was dead. I was screaming for an ambulance over and over again, and there was no ambulance on Copenhagen. So a truck was eventually reversed down. A number of people, the Israeli guy, there were some locals, um, moved his body into the back of the truck. The road is so bumpy they can't do proper compressions on his chest, but keep trying anyway. Shannon sees the Israeli guy turn his head away, unable to watch. Shannon says she knew in her heart it was too late. When they finally got to the clinics, the medics got to work trying to resuscitate Sean. They fossed air into his lungs, stuck needles into his heart, and administered adrenaline. But after 20 minutes, Sean was declared dead. Shannon looked at his lifeless body. Purple welts circled his legs. The marine biologist in her said, box jellyfish. Its powerful venom kills almost instantly. I knew he was dead on the beach, but there was a part of me that 
was holding out. It just all seemed so surreal. It seemed like beyond anything I could even imagine. Um, so although a big part of me knew he was dead, it was still a shock when the doctor said it. The receptionist asked Shannon how she would pay. Shannon was speechless. A young British woman in the waiting room started saying something to the receptionist in Thai. Shannon collapsed, crying into the British girl's lap. After a while, the girl got up, pointed to two tourists and said, They'll take care of you. And she walked out the door and was gone. Shannon vaguely recognized the two women from the beach. They had seen everything and came over to help. Sean's body was brought to a temple, the only place that's cool enough to preserve it. Shannon stayed in the temple for hours, touching and guarding Sean's body. Her parents offer to come over, but she refuses. The two Israeli women offered comfort and help while Shannon arranged for Sean's body to be brought to Australia. After four days, she flew the body to Bangkok on the way to Melbourne and got a hotel for the night. Shannon says the whole experience was a waking nightmare. I thought I was going to be a single mom at 28, and this baby would never know his father. Um, but I wanted it more than I can say. I had a lot of trouble eating and sleeping after Sean died. And it was hard to know what was shock, what was pregnancy, what was grief. I had so many physical symptoms, and I didn't know how to untangle it. I had a miscarriage that night in the hotel bathroom on my own, and it it felt like every choice in my life had been ripped away from me because I'd lost Sean, and I felt like I'd lost the ocean. I was halfway through a PhD in marine biology, and I just watched my fiancé die on the beach from something killing him in the ocean. I didn't know if I would ever be able to go back to the water again. I didn't know if I would ever want to. And, and then I lost the baby. It felt like I'd had this life, and I had been able to see it so clearly with Sean in Australia, having children and working as a marine biologist. Within days, all of that was gone. I just felt desperately alone. Sean's family arrived in Bangkok, and then they all flew back to Australia. Sean had a traditional Catholic funeral. The church was packed. Family, friends, everybody struggled with his sudden death. Shannon's heart went out to all of them, especially his poor mother. His mother, she couldn't even come to watch his coffin being lowered into the ground. She just didn't think that she could bear that. And that physically was surprisingly difficult for me because I had spent quite a lot of time with his body in the temple. I felt a very strange kind of ownership over his dead body, which may be hard to understand, but it was hard to let go of just that, of knowing I would never spend time with his body again. Shannon spent 10 days with Sean's family, but felt her presence had become awkward. After all, fair or not, she was the woman who brought their son back in a casket. So she headed back to California, hoping to feel more grounded, more at home, and more welcome. That was the idea, anyway. I found myself surrounded by people who were getting married 
and announcing they were pregnant and buying houses. Two of my best friends from childhood literally got married within that next month. I found it very hard to relate to people and I could tell people found it very hard to relate to me. People had trouble looking me in the eyes. I could see people would avoid me. And so often that they come out with these cliches that just made it so much worse. I felt like people around me wanted me to forget about it. They wanted me to process, move on. They wanted to not talk about Sean. People would say things like, you know, it's been six months, or you'll find someone else, or, you know, everything happens for a reason, and I'm sure it will be made clear to you why he had to die. That's never sat well with me. He's a 25-year-old. There's no reason why he died. Shannon says she resented being made to feel like she had to apologize for her grief or pretend she was getting over it. Because she wasn't getting over it. Because she lost Sean. And he was the love of her life. It is now 2002, and Shannon found herself looking for a place far away where she didn't have to hide her grief. Before Sean's death, the sea was the most comforting place in the world. The sea meant beauty, space, and freedom. The sea used to be the place where she could just breathe. But not anymore. I hated it. I hated it so much. I had given my life to the ocean, and I felt like it had totally betrayed me. Shannon wanted to run away and do what she and Sean had always done, buy a one-way ticket to somewhere and just go. They found each other traveling. It was something they shared. But now she was alone. So where to? Western Europe and Australia? Too many memories. Asia? Sean died there. South America or Africa? Too intense on her own. So I just thought, Eastern Europe. It's cold. It's cheap. No one speaks English. Perfect. I didn't want people to be able to talk to me. I felt like I couldn't communicate with anyone in English, so I might as well be somewhere where we're not even trying. And I didn't want to be somewhere hot because I'd been in Thailand with Sean when he died and it had been hot. I wanted to escape that close heat. I didn't want to be a place that was friendly. So Eastern Europe just seemed, ticked all the boxes. And I flew into Budapest. It mirrored my state of mind perfectly. It was gray and cold. It was winter. It was kind of a depressed place, but it was also a place that I think I, su- I found surprising bits of life where I wasn't expecting it. Shannon crisscrossed Eastern Europe. There was no plan, no route, no logic. I didn't have a single reservation. And I just thought I'd go from there. I wasn't even sure what countries I would visit. It took me a while, I think, to find my feet at all. When I first landed in Hungary, I couldn't see much beyond my own grief. I just wasn't able to. And it was really in Poland, in Krakow, where I started noticing the history around me. And I started being able to see past my own pain. I completely unintentionally ended up at Auschwitz on All Souls Day. All Souls Day, November the 2nd, when Catholics commemorate the faithfully departed. Traditionally, it's a day dedicated to prayer and remembrance. It was a beautiful remembrance of what had happened, and it wasn't pretending that it hadn't, it wasn't glossing it over, it wasn't putting a Disney spin on something that had happened that was horrific and awful. It was acknowledging it. And 
I cried through Auschwitz, as I'm sure almost everyone does, and just felt that remembering something and not trying to put a silver lining on something, which I feel Americans often try to do. They try to make it a happy ending. You know, people, when Sean died, people kept telling me things like, everything happens for a reason. It's hard to be in Auschwitz and think that everything happens for a reason. It was the first time since Sean's death that I just felt like I am in the place where I'm supposed to be. I'm in the right place at the right time, and this is where I want to be today. At All Souls, you, you tend graves, but it's not just graves from people you know and you loved. It's strangers' graves. You bring flowers in the morning and you light candles in the evening, and the graveyards were just lit up with candles. And I just thought there are different ways to remember someone who's died. And I just needed to find my own way. So Poland kind of forced me out of myself. I was able to look around at the history and the acknowledgement of that history in a way that made, made me feel insignificant, but also just made me feel a part of the world again. After Hungary, Slovakia, and Poland, Shannon went to Israel and met the two young women who had helped her at the beach in Thailand. One is called Shani. I needed to see them because although I hardly knew them in some ways, in other ways they understood me in ways that no one else in my life can because they were with me at what was the worst moment of my life. Being in Israel, just a place where the culture dealt with death, and grief differently. They served with people and they watched people die. And they were young. They were 2021. Um, and again, the way that they dealt not only with death and grief, but mourning and the rules and how to deal with someone who was grieving was completely different. They used Sean's name, they used his name often. They asked me questions about Sean, which is something that Americans most often didn't do. They let me dictate if I would talk to him or they were also totally comfortable if I cried, which Americans weren't. When I was at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem with Shawnee was the first time that I wished that Sean and I would just find peace in our separate places wherever we were. Before that, every time I had wished that he wouldn't be dead. I was still trying to take it back. Jerusalem was the first place where I felt like I was ready to accept that that wasn't ever gonna happen. After Israel, Shannon flew to Zagreb and traveled around Croatia where she was struck by a powerful urge to go to Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia. This was a mere six years after the end of the war in Bosnia and the devastating siege of the city. I thought it would match my mood. I thought I would find this broken city that was angry and bitter and limping along and barely surviving, and it was not what I found at all. Um, on the surface, maybe, the buildings were all still destroyed. I mean, it looked like the siege had just happened. There were the Sarajevo roses everywhere where... A bomb had gone off and it had killed someone and they'd filled it in with red resin. And those were all over the place. What I hadn't been expecting was 
the posters and there were posters everywhere and they were quite very macabre, very dark humor. This acknowledgement, this kind of taking back grief and survival for yourself, not being dictated how it's going to be told. It just felt like the most alive city I had ever been. People were incredibly friendly, happy that I was there. I felt like they had so little in their control, but they had taken their survival back in their control and they were telling it the way they wanted to tell it. And it was with a really surprising sense of humor from the outside. That meant a lot to me, that grief could be met with power, creativity, and beauty. So what was this process that you were going through? Trying to figure out how to chart my own path through grief, how I wanted to remember Sean, how I wanted to go on with my life, how I wanted to deal with the pain of losing him. Poland and Bosnia and Israel really changed the way I felt about grief, certainly as a Westerner, as an American. Um, the kind of acknowledgement, the rituals, the remembrance, the insistence to not sugarcoat things were things that I found useful. And I, I think one of the things that I have learned throughout this is that everyone needs to just find their own way through grief. There's no right or wrong. At what point during these travels do you think to yourself, I'm on the other side of this process now? Sarajevo. It was just such a shocking city. It completely threw me. I felt that if this city can survive in this way, then anyone can survive. After Sarajevo, Shannon hit the road again. There is no rhyme nor reason. There is only the chaos and unpredictability of life itself. She traveled 24 hours, took ferries, buses, trains, and ended up in Romania, and then in Bulgaria. And then Shannon was ready to go back to the place where it all started, Barcelona, where she first met Sean. I just felt like he was everywhere. Every corner I turned, there was a pub we'd had a drink at or a restaurant we'd gone to. I remember walking down that street with him. So I'm not sure if it was the right decision or not, but it was hard. It was harder to be there than I thought it was going to. And it was here that this leg of her journey came to an end. Life and its obligations tugged her back again, back to Kangaroo Island, to be precise. Shannon returned to her sea lions and worked part-time at the University of Melbourne doing lab work. She even found a place to live in Melbourne, the city she once planned to settle in with Sean. It's tough going. There are memories on every corner. But Shannon says she'd learned to handle it. And the ocean is near. Somehow she'd managed to do an entire season of field work without touching the water once. She worked with the sea lions and their pups on the beach. And then one day... She rented a surfboard and hit the waves, hoping for some kind of revelation. Hoping to breathe again. But nothing. She didn't feel anything. A few months later, she went alone to the remote Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu to go scuba diving. She hits the water and is surrounded by jellyfish. 
But then, back on land, walking down a dirt road, something had changed. It was a very physical moment, and I can't even say what preceded it. It wasn't this lightning flash of, I went a hundred feet below and I saw something. It was just that I had spent time in the water and I was appreciating being back underwater. It was this physical moment where I just felt like I got my breath back. And it, it was startling. I started to enjoy life again without feeling guilty about it. I could see myself going forward in a way that I hadn't been able to for a, quite a long time. Shannon finished her PhD in September of 2005, three years after Sean's death. And she kept busy in the enviable way scientists do. She joined research expeditions to the Poles, eventually settled in London, where she got married and had three children. And in 2017, Shannon published a book, Traveling with Ghosts, a memoir and a story about loss, based on the journals she kept when she traveled through Europe. It took her a long time to write. I felt like what I was writing about in the emails home and the journals was the thick of it, like the really hard part of grief that I felt got glossed over in books and movies that, you know, someone loses someone, they cry for 20 minutes, and then they're dating someone again. And it just kind of seemed to skip over the worst of it. How do you feel about the sea right now? I miss it, actually. I feel very landlocked in London. I miss the ocean. I love the ocean, but it's a much more complicated, grown-up relationship. Where are you now with Sean? I still think about him every day. He has been dead so much longer than I even knew him alive, which seems strange to me. I mean, I always kind of have to do the math. It's been 16 years since he died, over 16 years. Shannon, are you still grieving? I still miss him. I'll always be in love with him. I think he'll always be a part of my life. I think I will feel that way for the rest of my life. Shannon Leone Fowler. You've been listening to The Journey, an original podcast brought to you by KLM Royal Dutch Airlines. For more background on this story and on Shannon's book, Traveling with Ghosts, go to podcast.klm.com. And if you like this story, subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other listeners find this podcast. I'm Jonathan Gruber. Thank you for listening.